You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and uh, I'm in the studio this afternoon. Uh, fingers crossed that we get out of here before a major storm that's coming our way. Um, before we get started, I'd like to give out um, our call-in number in case you're listening to the show and you would like to speak with our guest. We would love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to call Call 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. And be sure to follow us on social media. We have very active uh, social media platforms on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Women to Watch Media. Um, and lastly, all things related to the show you can find at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, uh, including our incredible lineup that we have scheduled right now through September, I believe. Um, so I'm very excited this afternoon and, and truly honored um, that my guest is taking time out of her busy schedule to join me in sharing her story. Her name is Ellen Levine, and Ellen is the former editor, excuse me, editorial director of Hearst Magazine, and she is now the editorial consultant to Hearst, um, which she took that role in January of this, uh, this year, 2017 working across corporate divisions from newspapers to television to entertainment and helping develop new projects and uh, bring about new ideas. So, Ellen, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you. And I'm hoping, um, since I just heard the announcement, that that rain is not going to come your way. So well, you know, we likely could, you could it'll blow over. That well, we'll see. I have big windows here. I'm looking out, and it looks like something's coming. But um, we can always use some summer rain. So hopefully that's all it will be. 
That's great. Yeah. So, um, Ellen, you and I have, have spoken prior to the show, and I, I'm so incredibly um, impressed, number one, with your long and successful career. Um, I couldn't begin to really lay out for the listeners um, you know, the awards that you have received in your career in publishing um, and so much of the work that you've done outside of, um, you know, your role with Hearst, um, multiple boards, um, speaking engagements, books, um, so much. And what I'd love to start with is is your growing up years in New Jersey. I understand you were actually born in New York um, and then um, born and raised in New Jersey. And uh, I guess my my first question is, what took your family from New York to New Jersey? Okay, that's, uh, well, when I was born in New York, what had happened was that my father got drafted by the government to fight in the tail end of World War II. So we stayed, my mom and I stayed briefly, I was an infant, in New York, and then we had to go down to Mississippi to be with my father. So we were down there for about two years as he got shipped over to the at-war areas from Germany to sometimes a little bit in Switzerland, Italy, but we would never hear from him. My mother would follow the news in the newspapers and... Finally, when he got home and the war was over and he was fine, that's when they decided to move out of New York City and go to New Jersey. And why New Jersey? Because he had started a business there. Okay. So that's, that's the movement. And like many, many, many other men who came out of World War II, they would not talk to their families at all mm. about what happened over there. Yeah. So I do remember that. Yeah. But and, mostly... It, it was a tough time, but he was fine. What was he? Did you would did you notice um, you know uh, a change in him, or or would your mom talk about a change in him? No, they wouldn't talk about it. And now I know a lot of friends who actually had dads in that same situation. It's kind of the way they come back. They come back with just wanting to forget about everything. Not as not like it is now. But my dad had an idea to start a new business. And he had never, he had a really, really rough life as a child. So I, in a way, was daddy's firstborn son, which is kind of ridiculous. (laughs) But uh, when he lost his mother when he was in fourth grade and his father, who didn't know what to do, there were four children, he just took each one of those children and sent them to somebody else. I don't Mm. think he ever saw his father again. Oh, wow. But he had a great idea to start something. He was a kid from poverty. He was a guy with great ideas. And in Patterson, New Jersey, he and an uncle built a factory that created beautiful ribbons for Christmas, for parties. And it was through his interior intelligence that he could tell people how to do it because school was over after like fifth grade. didn't have any of that. Mm. But it was wonderful. We had a very nice place in Englewood. I went to the public schools. My mother wanted me to go to one of the girls' schools. I said I wouldn't do it. I want to be in a public school. (laughs) And in the end, I'm so happy I was because I still have friends from fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and so it goes. Oh, that's fantastic. I just followed. Yeah, I was daddy's girl. Yeah. And did you have siblings? I really learned a lot. 
I, I, uh, I have a younger sister okay. who actually lives in Philadelphia. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. Well, it's ironic listening to you talk about, you know, um, public school and, and wanting to be there, and yet you, you went on to Wesley College, which I believe is an all-girls yeah. liberal arts school, correct? Yeah. Yeah. What made you it's make It's where uh, Wellesley. Um, yes. And it's actually also where Hillary Clinton went and a bunch of other people who ended up in journalism. So I know a, a lot of them, but I was the first person in our widespread family to ever have gone to college. Nobody, you know, a lot of them were immigrants, but I just thought it was a great place to go. And so did the woman at Dwight Morrow High School telling me where I needed to apply. So that worked okay. Now, what would you say it was the number one advantage um, that you experienced being surrounded by an all-women's um, academic environment like that? You know, it's interesting. I didn't really think much about that. What I liked at Wellesley, I think, is still what makes them very, very popular, is that they totally respect women. Always had a female head of the college, terrific teachers, but men and women teachers. Mm-hmm. And what I, there were no sororities. It was more about other things that you can do. So I joined the Wellesley News, and I my teacher at the Wellesley News was Nora Ephraim, and I'm sure most people may remember her now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's brilliant, and she was my teacher, and I'd bring her a story, and she'd say, you can do better than this. So back again, got to do the story, and what she did was kind of train me. And it was a really good paper and eventually by senior year I got to be the editor-in-chief of the paper and I loved every single minute of it because it's kind of what I was doing in high school also I would be just sometimes driving people crazy asking them questions well, you but know I what figure the more questions you ask yeah. the better story you get well I think that says a lot about you Ellen as a young girl and that was a quote actually that I wrote down someone had asked you about you know your your work in publishing and and you said, I love what I get to do. I absolutely love it. I was born this way. I drove people crazy with questions. And there was a certain point in my house where people would say, enough with the questions. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not often that people kind of connect to what it is they love and are good at at a young age and then stay with that. But it seems that you did. And I guess my question is, do you, is curiosity the key to um, having a successful career in, in publishing? Uh, that's a good question. As far as having a good career, depending on how old you are, you know, if you're doing it when you're in high school, you're still – I was much younger from my class. It was like you'd be 14, you'd be 16. But you began – you'd get lucky and you'd have a teacher that would say to you, you know what, I think you should go off this summer and get some real training on being a reporter. And I'd say, huh, (laughs) what are you talking about? But then it was Northwestern who would take in kids that were either out of uh, 10th grade or 11th grade, have them there for six weeks. We were called cherubs, which is pretty amusing, looking back on that. Mm -hmm. And they still do it there. So you get trained in a way that you wouldn't ordinarily even know anything about and then you and then I realized this is just what I like to do I I want to find the truth I want to find the truth and I want to be able to inspire people that they can get where they want to be 
but also I like any kind of news. Mm. And were you encouraged by, by mom and dad in your field? Was there ever, you know, a question about you pursuing that? No, my dad was fine about it. He he would think about, okay, when she gets out of school, what newspaper do I know that she could go work for? I did have one really weird thing when I graduated. I don't remember if we've discussed this, the two of us. But after I was in my fourth year and looking for a job at Wellesley, I wrote a letter to one of the highest-based um, uh, New York reporters and executive in a big, big company um, of a very popular newspaper, and I, I wrote this nice letter about how I had trained a little bit and I'd really like to work for them, and then I got a letter back, which now really means more to me than it did even then. This man wrote back to me and said, Dear Ellen, if your name were Alan, we would have hired you. Yes, you did. T- wow. So. Yes, you did tell me that story. That What year was that? Do you? That was 1964. Wow. Getting out of school. Yeah. And I think I mentioned that I tore it up. I was so angry. Mm-hmm. Now I'm so mad at myself for not keeping it mm-hmm. because I could have showed it to somebody and they'd, they'd probably write, I'll give you something for this and yes. as long as you promise not to tell anybody. Right, exactly. So, yeah. But it was how it was those yeah. years. <clears throat> That's right. And, you know, we've come a long way, right? We We talk on the show quite often about – challenges for women in 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 work and how it was you know years ago and and um how it is today and you know i want to talk to you a little bit more about that later in the show just because you've had such um a long career and and i'm sure that you have um insight into you know women in working in the 60s 70s and and where we are today um what I wanted to go right to your, you know, graduation after Wesley, your first job out of school was the record in Hackensack. And um, right. so, you know, can you think about one, what, what would be the greatest lesson that you took from that first job? Well, I, I took a lesson um, when I worked at the record that was very interesting because at the record at that time, there were about 70 guys as reporters and about seven females. I had a terrific female leader in this who had had a stressful life, you know, divorce here, babies she has to take of there, but she taught me so much. She taught me how important it was that the headline grab a person, how important it was that the first graph you have in there get somebody's interest. Otherwise, they don't continue reading. Mm -hmm. And she would educate me about just, well, if you had a different word to put in, that would have been so much better. Go back, type up it again, and get the right word. But I also knew at that point that men being run and the women being kind of in the smaller office, that we just had to stand up straight and not give in, not be nasty or anything, but just not be in because they had this thinking process that once you were married and you got pregnant, you really needed to stay home with your baby and not talk about anything. And we were just, the girls, the seven of us, were just not going to do that. We were going to continue. And then there was this thing when I got pregnant and the man who was in charge of something said, well, you'll be leaving here in about five months. And I said, why? 
And he said, well, you'll have a stomach then. And I'm like looking at him like he's crazy. <laughs> I said, I have no intentions. So, yeah, I'll have a stomach, but I'm not going to birth a baby on the floor of your <laughs> magazines, the newspaper. We're not just doing that. And you don't have anything to worry about because my husband's an OBGYN guy. I will be well taken care of. And the guy just almost fainted. But that was fine. Stayed yeah. there. It was, yeah, but that's how it was. I know, it, it's amazing. It we was ha- crazy. Yeah, even, I I think, not that long ago, I remember women couldn't even show, you know, their pregnant selves on television, right? The uh, Especially the um, the news anchors, you know, they had to hide the belly. It, it's, it's crazy oh, when yeah. you think about it. Yeah, there's absolutely none of that now. I yeah. mean, what... The news that came in the other night, she's had her twins. Right. <laughs> so I was like, thank God. It's <laughs> good. So here's what I want to know. You really, um, from speaking to you, I can see um, and have learned that you had quite a sense of confidence as a young woman. And in those times, that was not necessarily the norm. Where did that develop in you? That's a good, again, that's that's an interesting question. Um, to a certain extent, and I've spoken to many women who you will know that have this same point of view, is we were daddy's girls. We were kind of the boy in the family. I don't know. It had nothing to do with sexuality or anything like that, but if your father was the one advising you and he was the kind of man who advised you as he would have advised a son, mm. although he didn't have sons, Yes, it toughens you up. And when I went to Wellesley, I would say, again, nobody really knew anything about the college because none of my family had ever gone to college. But there was just, Wellesley had strength, you know, and it wasn't letting you get away with things. And that helped also. And there was a positive inside the college and inside our family need to stand up straight. So that's what that's what it was like. And there was not much talk about why you shouldn't work. I don't know. As, as I got older, my father would be more excited because he thought, oh, well, you can get an even better job now. But it's when I went back to work in magazines after the newspapers, what I did find out that it was pretty much, as I was working for Helen Gurley Brown, she had invited me to join her. And what had happened in that case was the women were running the magazine and advertising and those kind of things were being sold by men. Then when I, she found me another job she thought was better for me, that I could be editor-in-chief of Woman's Day and be on the air at CBS at the same time because CBS owned Woman's Day and it was great. And then not long after that, I was there about eight years, and then I got a call from Hearst, from Frank Bennick, saying come home to Hearst, and they gave me a job as head of one of our other magazines. And when I walked in, it was a different world. While women were just doing writing, now they were selling ads. So you could see the whole thing change, the negativity about females. And that was the beginning right. of, yes, we respect women. Right, right. Well, one of the things I would say that you need um, 
to really, you know, again, have the success that you have had is this ability to really understand and know what the masses are interested in, right? What is what is everyone um, uh, going to respond to? And I, I wondered what what it was about your own upbringing that you think had allowed you or helped to develop that sense in you. Or, or perhaps it's just innate. You know, you were born with this ability to really understand what, uh, you know, the, the largest a population is going to be interested in. That you, it sounds like you should come over to our world. That's a very good question. Well, what, one of the things that I learned over the years, if you're developing a product anywhere from Cosmopolitan to Oprah Winfrey, which is the one that I had my first startup that I'd ever done, mm-hmm. what was really interesting was that you can find out as editor-in-chief or as a writer or a person who wants to help people, particularly women, what you need to be sure of is you're giving out in your magazine what the readers want. We're not an editor's person just to say what we think you should do. We need to know what they want, and then we can produce it. And sometimes you have somebody who really doesn't want to do that, and then you do not have a successful brand. You want to have the women who need these titles and want these titles to get the stories and the advice that they will give. So when we launched Oprah Magazine, I learned, and I think it was really the easy way, although I didn't realize what that meant at that time, is that I kept putting Oprah on the cover of Red Book Magazine because I was running Red Book for, I think it was four years. And, man, she would sell more than anybody else I ever put on a cover. So I'm thinking, hmm, (laughs) that's really interesting, and maybe I should fly out to Chicago, and she and I would talk together and she was also so nice so that if we put a cover on and she thought another company was going to put a cover on using the same colors she would pick up the phone and say I just want you to know they're the same colors that's not what's supposed to happen we're supposed to do what you want don't oh. worry about it oh wow it'll be okay yeah yeah so it's it's something where you need to know your audience mm-hmm. and you need to respect your audience Otherwise, it's not as popular. Mm. And I don't know if that's fully answering what you're talking about. Well, you know what I love? Well, I love what you just said about respecting your audience. I think that's that's different than just knowing your audience. Respecting them is truly thinking about how you can serve them best with with the content, right? uh, Yeah, there's one. So we have started Oprah Magazine, which was unbelievably successful and it's still on our decks and we're still selling them and mm-hmm. people respect see the our readers respect her and we respect our readers and Oprah and they're we open new doors for them we're not repeating things they've read a hundred and other places mm-hmm. right. but now we have a, a very interesting launch that has happened three weeks ago and it's called Pioneer Woman. Her real name is Reed Drummond. She's on Food Network. She writes cookbooks every two years, a new cookbook. They sell fabulously. 
They're charming. They have things about her family in it. And so we launched this magazine called Pioneer Woman on the 6th of June. And right now we are selling it exclusively at Walmarts, and then it will get to bigger places as time moves on. And it's a knockout. It's selling out. We're going back to press to get more copies. And That's this fantastic. is because we were it, there was a small team of us and Reed Drummond had called me about a little bit more than a year ago thinking she wanted a magazine and we got together very nicely. If people if our your listeners don't know, she lives in Oklahoma on a one hundred thousand acre ranch. They raise five thousand cattle out there. They have 250 wild horses that the government put in there because they had so many wild horses they didn't know where else to put them. But she is charming. Mm. And it's it's kind of the middle America thing, but I'm not talking about literally finances or anything like that. They live somewhat of a different life Mm -hmm. than you do if you live in Philadelphia or if you live in New York or if you live in L.A. And it's just a lovely life they have. So is that the market? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. Oh, I was just going to. So is that the target market for that magazine then? Kind of middle middle America. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the definition of middle America is hard to exactly say, but these are the interests that a lot of women simply want to have. It's stories about their family. She puts great recipes in. She has four kids. One of her younger sons is 13 years old. He was celebrating a birthday, so she did a very nice four-page story on how he and three 12-year-old or 13-year-old friends of his baked their own birthday cake. It's wonderful, and then stuff about life out there, and it's entertaining, and it makes you feel good. So that's just some of it, and she has a lovely little story about how she found her husband. Mm. He's the he's the rancher. Yeah, he's yeah. The, on his horse all day, and I just think we haven't done stuff like that in a long time. Yeah, and that's right. There are other magazines that lean toward that, but we hadn't had a fresh one, and I think people love her, and it's going to be nice. That's terrific. We'll make sure to um, to spread the word, and I I'm anxious to get a copy <laughs> and take a look. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll send you some copies, oh, and great. also it's Walmart. Okay, now, so that's great. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so, Liz, Ellen, as you mentioned, in 1994, you did make history um, as the first woman named editor-in-chief of Good Housekeeping. And, you know, when that role came to you, I was curious to know what your first priority was with the magazine. Ah, uh, okay. Well, first of all, it had been run by a very nice man for a long time. That magazine was born in 1885. Wow. So it kind of made you feel young. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, I'm not that old. <laughs> and it was time for women to be doing this for other women. And I was kind of stunned when I was called in to talk to Frank Benick, who was making the shift. But I was very excited about it because they have an institute, and they still do. Ever since I was there, it has been female, which is, and that won't change. And it's wonderful to know the world has changed. That's great. They recognize us. They know that we know other women. 
uh, we know what bothers them. We know what makes them happy. We know what we're going to put out in the issue. And in addition to that now, there is an amazing group that inspects projects. So they will inspect anything from nail polish to popcorn to what's working well in digital for you. They find the frauds. They help people not damage any people they know because of a particular product that would have been very dangerous. One of the big ones these days is when you have your little baby and the baby is one years old or the baby is eight years old or the baby is a year and a half and you put them in a stroller, you have to know that that stroller will not collapse. Right. And that's what we investigate in helping families make sure that when they buy something, it is a good buy mm-hmm. and a value into it. And we do that with food also. Mm-hmm. So the editor there enjoys what they're doing. The publisher there, female, Pat Hagley, I had worked with her. She's the greatest. And you feel like you're helping people also. And that's the other part of this, when you give them the information they need. And they might not have known they needed that information. And so in a way, if you're doing these kinds of magazines or books or not-for-profits, you have helped somebody. You Mm. have guided somebody. You don't know who it is, but you're giving them the truth. Yeah. And I always think that's the way to go. Yes. And and when you're um, looking at, you know, it's it's interesting, the the different language today. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was um, you have said that you still use old-fashioned words like journalism and stories and features, um, and, and I love that. And, and one day it became content. Um, I'm not sure when that happened, but... <laughs> um, yeah, well, that happened. That was a child of digital. Okay. so Content became the word... Yeah, yeah. When which they started the digital stuff. Yeah. Okay, and it, but it really is stories and and features and and journalism. And when you're looking at something, if someone brings something to you and you're trying to determine if it's good or bad, um, do you think about the experience that the reader will have as opposed to yes, this is good content. You know, this is. Uh, yeah, I think that's the most important thing. Now you can, if you if you have a magazine that's got 120 pages in it, you can give something that's two pages that might have a, a lower interest. You might get 30, 35 percent of your audience reading it. But when you have something that, back to the word, to story, uh, and one that leaves you feeling wonderful and better and a smile on your face, a lot of that falls into the health category, and we are very interested in getting the right health information out and also to be able to say, well, you think that is a good supplement? You better find out first because sometimes it's, you know, we're going to look into make sure that these are working projects. Mm-hmm. And it it's also differentiated by your age. So some of our magazines focus more on a group that's 40 or under. Some of them are more midlife, and so you have to twist around and make sure you're writing things that these women or men, because sometimes guys love this, uh, we're giving them the right advice. Recently, for example, we're doing some really interesting health work. There's this new 
thing about babies in utero, and if there's a problem found, there are much more important ways to save the baby. And so we're doing stories on that. And women, even if they've already had their children and their children are in high school or in college or whatever, they will still read that story mm. because the next thing they may think is maybe their daughter or son is going to have that situation. And a lot of these changes, as as you were saying, the story, even the television networks want to tell these stories. And that's important. So we're getting it out and we get the top physicians and other kinds of people to make sure we've got it right and we don't want to make some mistakes on it but I will say they are very very well read mm. um, listen Ellen we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors and when we come back I'd love to know if there was ever a story that went out that perhaps you regret we'll be right back okay okay thanks This is Kristen Hillsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hillsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a women's lifestyle conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to an- announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more, all available at womentowatch.net and our own website. FoleyHillsleyGroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at FoleyHillsleyGroup.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company, member SIPC. Log on to FoleyHillsleyGroup.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y group.com. Or call 610-238-6636. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Again, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this afternoon by Ellen Levine, who is editorial consultant for Hearst. Um, And we were talking about content and stories and, you know, what goes out in the magazines every day. I I was curious to know, Ellen, if there was a story that comes to mind that, that went out that you had second thoughts on. Well, actually, the thing I had, I, I actually do not have second thoughts, and it's <clears throat> its really because we have two months to review everything, the stories that would be going out, but I have had circumstances where we put out what we thought was a good story and that other people did not. So I'll give you a quick one, and then I'll tell you a longer one. Well, during any, put them out. 
uh, and then we'd get angry letters from Republicans, angry letters from Democrats saying, how could you put this picture out? It's awful. And we had already gotten the pictures from the wives that they were fine. They, they sent us the pictures. Mm. So you do bump into that. People have their own point of view about who they like, and so we stopped doing the pictures, and that was fine. And we went back on it about three or four years later, and we still had the same problem. So we only put them on digital. So that wasn't much of a thing. But when I was a reporter at the record, I would do stories that they said I could do, but we could get very negative words back from it. So, for example, golf clubs back in the 60s and 70s would never let a woman have the ownership at the golf course. It was all the men, and it was really not the right way things should be. And the women couldn't tee off until like 3 in the afternoon. The men could do it in the morning. So I did a story on that, and I got a lot of negative stuff, but it was still, I didn't care because I still thought it was the wrong thing for them to be doing. And now, of course, the women can tee off. Nothing to do with me, but it was just a thing that was existing in those days and wasn't right. Mm -hmm. So we did things like that. But in the print world, it's much very, very, where everybody's very, very careful not to have something that would bring a lawsuit. So we are cautious on that. I bet. Yes. And yeah. More so today than ever, right? With how much yes, litigation there is, right? Yes. Um, so you've covered many, many topics, and I guess that, that speaks to your curiosity about all things, um, which, which makes your job so fun. One of the things you have focused on, though, Ellen, in your writing is mental illness, and I wonder if you can talk about why that's been important for you. Okay. Um, mental illness is such a big problem, not just in the United States, but across the world. Some people inherit it. Some people, you know, get mental illness from other things that they have been doing and they shouldn't have been doing, like drugs. And it is ongoing. I know a lot of people who are in the world of mental illness to the extent that they are raising millions of dollars to get the right kind of drugs to be created so that these people can control it. There is, um, on occasion, family members that people are very aware of and trying to help. So I do think that that kind of thing does fall along a path that we all need to be concerned about. So having that come in, there is possibility that the more we talk about it, the more we look at it, and I on occasion do speeches with units that are not from Hearst but are from medical schools, and you do believe that there will be things that can happen that will improve this, more drugs, uh, and then, of course, all the soldiers that are out come back from having horrendous things happen to them. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different district. And it's got females in it. So the what people are talking about now with mental illness was never talked about 10 years ago. That's right. It was dark. Mm -hmm. It was don't say it. People won't like you. But as it now is, I think they're opening doors especially for women, mm -hmm. and also for soldiers. And it's the one, it's something we should be doing. And then there can be happy endings. So 
that's I think it's a very important health care issue, as are other health care issues like Zika and things that just pop up that we don't know about. But when you find out, you want to fix it. And you want to help little kids when they have their problems. As a matter of fact, tomorrow I'll be having lunch with a man who runs a lot of these organizations. This one is called the Child Mind Institute, and his name is Harold Harold Kapelowitz. So a lot of this is becoming important, and it would have been better if it started to be important 20 years ago, but thank God it is now in the world being discussed. Yes, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, years and years ago when anything related to the mind, um, and the mind can be sick just like the body, um, was kept secret, it, it made the lives of those people struggling that much worse. And today there's so much more awareness around mental illness, and, and people talk about it more openly without fear of uh, being judged. Yeah. 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 And th- there are other things like this that come up that – like gun control. That's another thing we do talk a lot about. And we will and have interviewed wonderful people like Gabby Giffords and her husband, Mark Kelly, who is the astronaut. And across all these roads, we look to find those people to let them say what they want to say in print. And many of the magazines do this. So, I, you know, from Marie Claire to, uh, oh, no. Went dead again? No, you're, we're still going, but... Oh, yeah, what's yeah. happening is the lights are going off where we are, Yeah, I, that's I, okay. Yeah, hopefully we'll, we have about, you know, 15 more minutes. Hopefully we'll make it through, but some, something is coming <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, but no, you're, you're so right, Ellen, about these conversations, and I think, you know, even, um, I think when it comes to young people, a lot of times the celebrity folks and the people in the music industry who they look to when they step out and speak on these issues i think it it has great impact equally we need people who have the expertise right you know the doctors right. and and educators um to be giving information and and facts and and analytics and and you and you provide both both of those well way back when i was still at good housekeeping i met a woman who is just lovely and her daughter who was at that point, her name is Swanee Hunt, by the way, and Mm -hmm. she's very active in government and other things. And her daughter, Lillian, was 13 years old at that point, and Swanee had become the ambassador, one of the ambassadors from the United States to Austria. And she had a child who was bipolar, diagnosed at 12 or 13 years old, and I said, okay, if you want a story in Good Housekeeping, I understand that. Uh, what would you like it to be? Because I have a thought for you if you're comfortable with it. And it was about the mother and the daughter talking to each other. Mm. And then we discussed, do you think it's going to be hurtful to your daughter to find out that 5 million people have read the story? Or do you think it will be? She said, I think it's going to be okay. And so we did that story. It was so well-read. It was so helpful to other families that had problems like this with a child. And it kind of opened a door for us that these weren't things you were supposed to park in the back where nobody saw it. This was the kind of thing you should be bringing out so people are more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And from that point across so many of our magazines, 
we've done it. And she, um, Swanee, had also come in and spoken very nicely and very well at Brain and Behavior Institute, which is an organization from New York, not-for-profit, and they raise, I think it's been something like $300 million to get drugs improved. And it's been very effective. So more that we can find on that, the better all our kids will be That's and right. other people. That's right. Yeah. Um, Ellen, tell me what has, you know, what we all have things that we struggle with in our own personal lives. And, you know, we talk about both personal development and professional development on the show. And um, I wondered if there's something that, that's been challenging for you um, that you've had to work on, you know, from a personal standpoint s- since you were young that you've seen um, maybe come full circle where you are today in your career. Huh. That's a tough one. Okay, so one time we were launching a very small magazine while I was working for Helen Gurley Brown, and it was a second one, but it was going to be all about how you can live, what the rooms are like, all that kind of stuff with a Cosmo. It was called Cosmopolitan Living. And it went out, and I worked on it, and then one day they just shut it down, and it was a guy who shut it down. Helen didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I went home that night, and at about 11 to about 2 o'clock in the morning, I sat in our living room drinking whiskey. I had never had any whiskey ever before in my entire life. I just could not get over that this guy didn't want it anymore. And the next morning, I woke up feeling better. So, yes, that happens. But I do think the doors are a lot more open now to men and women working together. And I think that's made a big difference. So I have been on boards, which are mostly male, since probably 25 years. And as we see women getting more and more onto big business boards, and these are not, these are money-making companies, we see that the doors are opening again. That's not what really upsets me. I think of myself, if I'm the only woman or there are two women and eight men, I just think I'm a person. Mm-hmm. And I kind of put it in that way and talk what I want to talk about. And the it seems to be working better across most of the United States, but not always. And we've seen that in running for office, male, female things still need to get better and not as blocked as they are. But I I do think we're all working better and talking to each other better in our unit. Now, I'll just throw in a thing about health care, because when I married my husband, he was in medical school. It was at Cornell that he was in medical school. There were 120 guys in his class at that time and three girls. So that was a profile of what things were like. Now, 46% of the students are female, and it's growing. So we're seeing some of this work out much better than we ever thought it would. And I think that's great growth for us. I don't know if it's answering exactly what you're looking for, but well, ask I, me yes. some more on this. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we can talk forever about, you know, men and women working together and why, you know, it matters and, and um, you know, why we're looking, why we're doing this show. You know, at the end of the day, this show is about trying to encourage more women to be leaders. And, well, why are we doing that? And I, I think... Um, well, I know what my opinion is, but let me ask yeah, tell you. Me. Yeah. Well, 
I just think in, in general, you know, and this may be simplistic, that we, we're going to see a better world when we have more women in positions of policy making and, and sitting on boards and in C-suites and just leading wherever they are. And that has never been the case before, right? So since the beginning of time, um, we haven't had women in leadership roles. And I think what we do is we bring a whole different set of gifts to the table that when in complement, you know, complementing uh, men with, with theirs, that much more interesting, innovative ideas come about. And, um, you know, but well, tell... It's kind, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like what we were talking about in the beginning. If you're writing something, if you're creating something from dresses to uh, iPads to whatever, there are different points of view that a man has and a woman has, and we need both of them. Mm-hmm. So right. how do you please the guy? The guy's, um, if my husband has one more drone, I don't know what we're going to do with the house. He's <laughs> uh, already broken two fingernails. Uh, I don't want to touch that drone. On the other hand, there are things that I do that we really need that he doesn't want to get involved in. Everybody should have the the thing that they can give to the group so you see who the audience is out there. It takes us right back to there. But then there will be women who don't want to work, and that's fine also. They, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that if they don't want to work. I do think it's wrong when they are not allowed to work. That's oh, a that, different right. situation. That's a, right. Or that's they will not put that person on a board. That's or exactly they will right. not say their thoughts are worth listening to. That's right. That's where the men have to get control of themselves. And we're sort, we're seeing women going into finance, which is terrific. Uh, some of the women I know know their math better than the guys I know. It's very impressive. Mm-hmm. And attitude is good, and attitude is different. But we're fine. We can be together if we have respect for each other. That's exactly right. That's such an important word. And I would say, you know, even it's more about just letting women believe that they should and, of course, be allowed to speak to speak up. So <clears throat> they don't have to be working in a role outside of a home because certainly we need people raising the children of the world. But if even in their own communities, you know, I think it's important that they speak up and speak out. Um, so whether it's in you know in their family or on the global stage, it's equally important for them to express their opinions. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh yes, yeah. and, and I do think that this generation, and I'm not necessarily saying it about the millennials. I think this door has opened. Oh, for sure, and it has. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm. We're not going to see as many women fixing the bottom of a car. However, I have seen a few. Which well, yes, in, it's important. I know a woman here. Yeah, there's a woman here in Philadelphia who actually, um, gosh, I wish I could think of her name, um, started her own automotive um, business. And, you know, she was just this this girl that, you know, grew up around cars and loves cars. And her her dad said, you can do it if that's where your interest lies. And so it's a a place where women can go and feel they trust their car is getting, you know, exactly what it needs um, when it needs it. So, you know, we're seeing firsts all in, across all industries, which is so incredibly exciting. As a matter of fact, I shared a story today, Ellen, about a young girl who may be the first female player in the NFL. 
Oh. Can you imagine? So so that's truly, you know, speaks to how far we've come. You know, one of the questions I had for you, you've worked with young women throughout your entire career, and I wonder if you've noticed a difference in the ambition of young women today, I guess we'll call them the millennials. Every everybody has a, a, a title, um, as opposed to young women back in the uh, in the seventies and the eighties, even. Well, one of the things that we have that's different is that they will get hired. They could have been really smart kids twenty years earlier, but they would not have gotten hired. And it is being accepted as part of what the world is. And very soon, I think there'll be less talk about this because it will all be integrated. Right now, we are growing. The females are growing. Uh, Many of the men now finally have more female attitudes. I don't want to own being the female attitude. I think everybody will integrate it into them and have the same things that they believe in, that they share. I think the fights will remain in some areas, particularly if it's a religion where they do not want women doing anything, which may not ever go away. Don't know about that. Maybe you have some insight on it. But it's a, it's a better time. And I do think it's difficult when women have a child that needs to be cared for, and now we're seeing more men staying home. And nothing wrong with that. They all eventually get back into an office. But also we see... Uh, women marrying women. So it's a way different world, which for some of us, it just doesn't impact us. It's the way of the world. It doesn't mm-hmm. bother me. For other people, they are very upset by it, and we see that in politics right now. Mm-hmm. But we would never have seen this 30 years ago. No, no. It wouldn't have been allowed. But right now, I feel, and all the people I work with are very comfortable with it. Yeah. You get into very interesting opportunities, and it's it will be, I hope, become a part of life for them in a way that keeps them happy. I look back to high school, and I finally realized that my math teacher and our teacher of Europe lived together. And now I'm looking back and knowing, huh, okay, I never would have thought of that when I was <laughs> 14 years old, right. but now they were hiding. Sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're both good teachers. They were together. Yeah. You couldn't get married in those days, right. but it was a nice life. Yeah. So I do think locking women out of things is ridiculous. At least now when I go into a bank, I see women in the bank, you know, taking your monies and fixing things for you. And yeah. that would have been a thing that was all male back in the 60s and 70s. So I think we're growing, and I, and I do think that the beauty of all of it is that there are magazines out there that men and women both read. One of them is the one that has been around for a very, very long time, but very well liked. It's called Town and Country. Mm-hmm. And we all obviously like to read some of the same books, so... And watch the same television shows and go to the same movies um, and feel the same way about it when we walk out. So we're not, I think we're getting to a point where we're not afraid of each other. That's right. Some areas of work need more Mm -hmm. of that, but... It's, it's gener- different yeah, than I think, it was in 1970. Yeah, it's generational. And, I, you know, I should mention you've raised two sons. You have 
two boys. Oh, yeah. So, um, our you, boys. Yeah. Tell me about your conversations with them, um, you know, growing up and around respecting women. We didn't have a problem with that in the house. But what we did do later on is try to help them on what they wanted to do and what they wanted to be when they grew up. You know, we thought, I thought, one of them, oh, we're going to have a doctor in the family. No, mm-mm, didn't happen. <laughs> didn't have a journalist in the family. One of them is in, uh, he buys and sells small jets out of Europe, and re- he re- then resells them, fixes them, resells them. But before that, he had been at Brown and had gone to Europe to find out a little bit more about their aircraft. But before that, he was in media no, but his wife was, and he was in the world of business, and then he wanted his own business. And then the other one, who had started out working for way back when, for Mickey Drexler when he was running Gap, Dan ran, learned a lot from working with him, and now he runs a company for men's clothing, and socks in particular, and they're fine. They yeah. both have kids. Danny has two boys, and our other Peter has three daughters, so everybody is fine. Good. Everybody's fine. Good. Listen, we have just a moment left. I, I want to just give you the opportunity to um, just share one one bit of advice for our listening audience, particularly if it's some young millennials looking to get into uh, the publishing industry. What would you leave them with? Well, first of all, I'd say think well of yourself. Do what you think is right for you and learn before you walk into getting an interview, try to find out what is needed in that interview. Your background, your schooling, or your and your joy of whatever the job is that's available. So it's not that hard when people are looking for people. And as millennials, digital world is very hot for them, looking for them. Just be prepared, look nice, be able to talk well, and to smile from time to time at your meetings. And always remember to ask questions. That's right. That's That's right. That's how you'll learn a lot. That's right. Ellen, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. It was a great talk. I'm really impressed with your questions. Oh. So thanks a lot, Susan. Look thank, forward to seeing you. Thank you, Ellen. Okay. That, that's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Have a great week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.